This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I'm the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. The Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University held a September 2015 conference and subsequent talks about the new Russia of President Vladimir Putin. The journal South Central Review recently published a collection of articles from those events called Putin's New Russia, Fragile State or Revisionist Power. Andrew Natsios, director of the Scowcroft Institute of International Affairs at the Bush School, guest edited the issue and joined us for a discussion. Thank you for joining me today, Mr. Natsios. How serendipitous is the timing of this issue's publication, knowing it's been in the works for a couple of years? Well, we originally conceived of this conference that we held uh, several years ago that, that would produce papers that would be published in a book, but the book publishing industry has changed and edited books academic books aren't really easily published nowadays. Mm -hmm. And our essays are by journalists and scholars, so there's a mix there. And uh, so we decided doing a edition of a well-known journal or uh, would be better and faster to get the issue out. Now, in terms of the timing, it was simply serendipity. There is no uh, <laughs> deliberate plan to publish this just as, as the Russia controversy in the American political system was reaching a peak. In fact, it may not have even, it may not be at its peak yet. Right. We don't know what else is coming up, but it certainly is, has far more currency now than it did when we held the conference. You already touched on this a little, but what kind of challenges are there with taking content from conferences and lectures and things of that nature over several years and putting that into a printed volume? Well, the, the first, obviously, is, is timing and currency. We went back to all the authors and asked them to update the, the essay. Some of them required substantial editing. Some of them did not. The book on the chapter on Project Russia uh, is an existing document, so it doesn't need to be updated. The statistics that uh, Nick Eberstadt used in his essay on the demography of Russia. Well, they're a couple of years old, but that's fine. Uh, he had done a book, I think, 15 years ago on Russian demo demographics, uh, and he added a lot more material and updated what he had produced then. And I think a third of, of, of his charts and data are entirely new. They were never published before. Uh, and some of his arguments are new as well. So I think it, it's mixed, depends on the, on the chapter. Getting into the, the meat of the topic, how difficult is it for the U.S. and other countries? They're kind of playing catch-up in assessing the threat of Russia. So how difficult is that in today's world? Well, in a democracy, it is not sufficient to simply convince opinion makers and uh, political leaders. You have to convince the public uh, of a, a shift. And the perception, of course, during the Cold War was our principal threat as a nation state was uh, the communist bloc. That ended in uh, 1990-91 with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the uh, ascendancy of Gorbachev and what were thought to be then the reformers of the 1990s. 
early on in Vladimir Putin's time as president in the early 2000s, uh, it did appear that he was a uh, reformer and he was moving Russia into the community of nations. And some, for some reason, no one. There are different theories as to why this happened. He he made a 180 degree shift, not only in economics but also in the in political freedoms that the Russians were beginning in the 1990s to finally enjoy. Which is very sad because it, Russia is one of the most educated countries in the world in terms of uh, college degrees and literacy generally. To have a country of that level of education and historic culture. I mean, Russian culture in terms of its music and, and its literature. The the iconography of the Russian Orthodox Church is quite profound, but its history politically and in terms of repression and the destruction of, of its society under the uh, communist regimes is, is a terrible story. I mean, millions of Russians died during the Second World War, but also under Stalin. I know that is not happening again, but the level of repression clearly in the last decade has dramatically increased in Russia. You talk about Russia as an outlier nation. Uh, what role does that, as people not really understanding that, what role does that play in trying to under, just understand how to deal with them? Well, Russia is not a closed society, but the way, for example, North Korea is. I wrote a book on the North Korean famine that was very difficult to get information because the society is so close. Russia is not what it was during the communist period in terms of you can go in and out. Any Russian can go in and out and any Western can go in and out. That doesn't mean you're not being watched, but it's nowhere near like what it was under uh, the communist period. But the, the challenge is that we had perceived Russia to be moving in a different direction. Western and Central Europe have been distracted by a whole series of crises. One was the economic crises with the southern tier of, of uh, European Union states that had serious economic problems, Greece, Spain, Italy, for example. And secondly, there has been the migration crisis, which Russian, the Russian government under Putin has exploited, actually, to cause more far-right-wing and far-left-wing movements to arise in European politics that are hostile to the United States, to the European Union, to NATO. And so he has been, I think, successfully, up, up until recently, uh, using these stresses and strains in the European Union against the traditional Western alliance, which he sees as a threat. So I think I think people weren't afraid, weren't aware of the threat, and understanding the, the profound shift that had taken place uh, is even for elites has been a, a stretch in Europe. There's another factor here too, which um, a number of uh, scholars of Russia have pointed out. A lot of Russian money is now in, uh, for example, banks in London mm -hmm. and in Berlin and in France. And so when you have billions of dollars in banks, there's not so much enthusiasm for targeting Russia and Russian oligarchs who are allied or a part of Putin's inner circle because they've got so much money in, in, in the financial institutions in Western countries. Mm -hmm. And that has made it more difficult. But you know, uh, uh, one of the reasons that Neville Chamberlain was so soft on Hitler was a function of the amount of money, German money, that was in, in uh, British banks in the 1930s. So 
economics does play a part in all of this, even though it's much quieter and much more subtle than we sometimes realize. And like you said, when I, I remember when Putin came to power, there was this kind of, oh, good, this is a, a, a good step. This is something positive. People blinked and all of a sudden they didn't see all the other things going on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The rearming of Russia has been quiet. I mean, there was a perception the Russian military in the 90s had collapsed as a fighting force. It was demoralized. The state finances were in chaos. And, and Putin did bring a measure of order to the finances of Russia after the chaos of the Yeltsin period. Uh, what, what we didn't realize what was uh, how this was going to evolve. Instead of becoming more democratic and more uh, of a... Um, a liberal democracy, it moved in the exact opposite direction, which we, we, we had not anticipated. What did you learn in putting this together? As someone who studies this, did you, were there things that you were like, oh, now I see something different here? Well, I had read about Project Russia, for example. This is five volumes of political ideology, basically, that the Kremlin uh, has put out. It's not an official document, but it is a semi-official document of the Russian government. It is very odd conglomeration of far right-wing, neo, almost neo-fascist documents, hmm. a prominent jurist and under Hitler, uh, was a member of the Supreme Court, but he wrote, he was an intellectual, and he wrote all these essays. They're in one of the volumes. So uh, why they're taking Nazi documents and putting them in a Russian state volume of, uh, in terms of the uh, ideology of the Russian state now is very odd, since many people still associate Russia with, with uh, Marxism. And so, in some ways, the far left and the far right meet at the extreme totalitarian left-wing or right-wing dictatorship. But, I mean, that hasn't happened yet. This is not Stalin. Putin is not Stalin, but he certainly exercises far more control than any Russian government in uh, in a couple of decades. And you talk in the beginning about finding, uh, looking at a book first and then deciding to go the journal route. What made South Central Review the right home? Is it the connection with Texas A&M, or is it something else? Well, I mean, uh, Joe Golson, who is a professor, a distinguished professor in the International Studies Program, is a good friend of mine, and he said, you know, the easiest thing to do to get these essays out now would be to publish them through, through the South Central Review, since it, it, the journal has evolved over the years to be a journal on European literary and political affairs, and so it fit very much into the mainstream of writing. There have been conf uh, other conferences that Joe Golson has put on uh, on 100th anniversary of World War One, for example, right. were published in, in the journal. And so it makes it accessible worldwide, which was very attractive from our perspective as well. Well, I appreciate you taking some time. This has been great. We're hoping to get more people to access it by letting you talk about it. And uh, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.